Welcome to the Movers Mindset Podcast, where I interview movement enthusiasts to find out who they are, what they do, and why they do it. In this episode, Charlotte Miles shares her motivations for coaching, why it's important to her, and how it fits into her life. She delves into more difficult topics, emotional and energy recovery, personal struggles, and her experiences with mortality and grief. Charlotte discusses how parkour affects her life, her definition of success, and finishes with real-life superpowers and finding purpose. Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. Hey, I'm Charlotte Miles. Charlotte Miles is a coach, athlete, filmmaker, and an entrepreneur. Her curiosity for human movement has seen both her training and coaching career span various forms, from contemporary dance, CrossFit, and Olympic weightlifting, to strongman and now parkour. In addition to this, Charlotte is the lead creative at Parkour Generations, managing design, branding, and social media, and is the founder of Ironheart Studios, her own media company committed to rich, resonating, and responsible storytelling. Welcome, Charlotte. Hey, Craig. Thank you so much for having me. Charlotte, as I was reading about some of the things you've done, I'm torn between, I want to just have the whole meta conversation about creativity in terms of working with media and interviewing people. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure how interesting that would be to everybody else, Sure, but let's, let's start there a little bit. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are being on the pointy end of the creative <laughs> process, the sharp, the sharp end. <laughs> and what, so, okay. Uh, give me a bit more context. So what? when you work behind the camera, right. I know from our earlier discussion that you don't go in with storyboards and this no. giant complex vision, you go in and you know that you can just sort of get what you want to get. And by now you've realized I'm doing the same thing. I don't have an agenda or a list of questions. And I'm wondering now that you see what that's like to have somebody point that at you, does it make you nervous to know that I don't have a plan? Like this is going to be a roller coaster ride or are you confident that, well, I guess he knows what he's doing? No, I trust uh, in you and the, the, <laughs> um, the time that we spent together before we started. Um, I think I have a, a measure of <laughs> who you are and, um, what it is that you're doing here. So, and it feels like there's space for authenticity. So I think that, uh, going in with a really clear plan and structure can often be, um, restraining. Mm. You've created the sandbox within which we're going to play. Um, but beyond that, it's about what happens in the moment. So, uh, I trust in your process. (laughs) I'm just going to move your microphone as close as I can get it to get a little more bass. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going to do this one. We're doing this just open today because I think we have enough to talk about that we won't need to refer to any of my notes. I know that you've spent a bunch of time now doing physical training. Mm -hmm. So you were just at uh, WIPWA, Women's International Parkour Weekend. And I want to just kind of hop around until we figure out where we're going here. So are there any snapshots that, and I I know some of the stories from WIPWA, but I don't want to spoil it. Are there any snapshots from WIPWA this past weekend that leap out at you as something that you'd want to share? Sure. I think it was just a massive privilege for me to be... uh, at an event where I had access to so many women in a very short space of time. Mm-hmm. So I've been coaching for five or so years now. And I might may, uh, maybe have like two or three women per session that I'm coaching, but it's still the strength and conditioning area of things is still fairly male dominated. So I just don't have that many females in one space at one time and being able to give a bit more direction to the message that I'm giving them. And for this workshop, it was very much about curiosity. So getting curious with your strength and, and perhaps 
feeling like you can hold a space within what is a fairly male dominated area of fitness. So not putting caps on your abilities based on what you're told you should be as a woman, let's say culturally, socially, um, but deciding for yourself that there is this area of uncharted territory and you just don't know what is possible in terms of strength. So get curious with it and go exploring. So I hope that I was able to give the ladies there a jumping off point and a bit of a catalyst for showing them that um, what you perceive of your strength um, is probably grossly underestimated. And if you can kind of find some courage to to step into those spaces, whether it's a gym or grabbing a set of dumbbells that your husband has in the bedroom at home or whatever it is, or, you know, if it's go pick up heavy bags of shopping mm. on a regular basis. I find there are so many different ways that you can train your strength and it doesn't need to be in a globo gym surrounded by meathead lifters doing their beautiful <laughs> right, bicep curls right. in front of the mirror. Like it really doesn't have to be there whilst I train in those spaces. And I think that you can find an inner confidence to be there. I think there's a lot of value in that. That doesn't need to be where it starts. And it can be picking up a tin of baked beans at home and doing like various different kind of movements with that or lifting your child or just finding something that you can lift safely and with good technique, you can carry it for a certain amount of time or distance. And you do that on a regular basis to the point where it is asking your system to adapt to these conditions in a, in a way that it hasn't done previously. I was talking to the women about, you know, we're always, our body's always trying to find homeostasis and the sense of balance. And you only need to find something that pushes it outside of that, that this um, hermetic stress response, a favorable response to stress that asks your system to step up and to um, grow and to adapt into a different space. And um, you need that kind of, we're always looking for mechanics first and then consistency. So consistent mechanics and then adding that intensity piece. And it's the intensity piece that, you know, it, it kind of sucks balls. It doesn't feel very nice. And that's the area that most people don't want to, to step to, into. Right. right. Um, but that's the kind of missing piece of the puzzle that if you're willing to do that and you know, the, the, uh, clue is in the name in that it's intense so it's short it doesn't need to be an extended period of time it can be like three minutes worth of really busting a gut and sweating your ass off and like breathing hard and pushing yourself I'm not going to say into the pain cave because I don't like that term but just to a place that is unknown and probably uncomfortable if you're willing to go there for a short space of time it's that that stressor that is going to get your system to up the ante and to grow and to become something that is as yet unknown to you and that's a beautiful thing um so i was just trying to encourage the ladies there just to experiment and explore be your own n equals one like get excited about this uncharted territory because that's really where i started i'd never had access to any kind of training tools like mm -hmm. that and how did they how did they react to that? That they uh, I'm going to guess they reacted well to it, but did it work as well as you had hoped? I think so. The feedback that I got from it was just extraordinary. Really, I think also because a lot of people were co come to parkour 
perhaps with no training at all or from a um, certainly not a, a kind of fitness background and what parkour does is it enables people to engage with an area of themselves like this childlike kind of um experience of themselves that they have perhaps become detached from it's something that they once were but um haven't explored for a while because they slotted into this idea of what an adult is yes. what what adulting requires and but that's something that has existed already and that you've maybe moved away from mm. i think for a lot of people being strong there is no frame of reference for that there's no i once was and so there's no return it's a completely new thing it's a blank canvas and that can be as scary as it is exciting and yeah so i think for these women to 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 have this sense of holy shit like i've just lifted something that i had absolutely no perception that i could do that that's um yeah it's a little it's it can light a fire within someone and it definitely did for me so i hope that people have kind of taken that away and and whilst they um perhaps are great movers they hadn't ever considered that they could be strong too sure. so yeah maybe maybe some people will be uh kind of finding new tools to explore and um finding new areas of themselves that they can explore within that what uh, i'm i'm curious what's something that you think other people get wrong about you or something that they misunderstand or maybe something they believe that isn't actually true mm. oh that's a very good question <laughs> um that's a really good question because i think i'm I'd like to say that I am quite adaptable and can sh can kind of shapeshift a little bit dependent on the scenario but perhaps in some ways it's about uh I can be quite direct and people who work with me will know that that I yeah I don't know how to explain it that I can uh, some people will find me quite abrupt mm -hmm. Um, and, I don't think you're and about to maybe, <laughs> but maybe a, a bit cold. And I think what people don't understand is that I'm like highly, highly emotional. And I think that's part of why it is I do what I do. But I think I'm, I have uh, degrees of that, or I'm certainly able to manage that. I feel like I'm waffling now, or maybe deploy it as a skill. And I don't want—I yeah. can't really help you because I don't no, really no. know. <laughs> like, Feed me a line, Craig. Come on, help me out here. <laughs> Throw me a lifesaver. <laughs> you already have my pillow. <laughs> did you notice this? Yes, I did notice. It's like a logical bullshit terms. You, you brought it I'm from sitting the sofa. Here with like, I know. I was Defensive like, I need my pillow. comforter. <laughs> I did notice that. <laughs> I did it the second I walked in the room. I was like, okay, we're going into business mode now. I need something, a barrier. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm a really highly emotional person, but I think um, some people will perhaps perceive of me that I'm quite um, cold, maybe. But yeah, I don't, I, I think just my direct conversation style and where, when I need things, I guess, um, I know I like to, cut to the quick of mm. what it is that I need but as I mentioned before to you the um I th I feel like I've had some experiences in life that have made me um unable to do the small talk mm. and I 
have the ability to, uh, it's not ability, it's about the language. I have the tools to deal with tough subject matter and to, I'm, I'm never scared of talking about taboo issues. And I think I have a responsibility to talk about those things. Um, and as a result of that, I, I don't do the small talk. I don't do the kind of, um, fluffy, friendly stuff, perhaps. Yeah, or the, that the people social kind lubrication. Of, yeah. Exactly. Good word. <laughs> that conjures up all sorts of imagery. <laughs> that's why it's a great way to phrase that. But it's, it's, that's mission critical. I mean, get on the tube here early in the morning and your personal space is a quarter of an inch right. on all sides. And you literally need the social lubrication to make sure that we can all exhale and get one more person in this car. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I feel like, in some ways, my life experience has um, steered me in the direction of the kind of storytelling that mm. um, that I do and has facilitated me with the tools to be able to do that to a certain level because I can have those conversations that you're not going to have when you're standing in the queue at Sainsbury's waiting to pay for your bread and milk. Right. It, you know, I'm probably going to get to the tough stuff far quicker but i think actually at the heart of things a lot of people are really craving to talk about that stuff i would definitely agree with you (laughs) that kind of not the nuts and bolts but the real meat of who they are and there's not many opportunities to do that so i think i find that the contributors that i work with once i've established a relationship with them over a short space of time so i've spent time kind of um getting to know them and their life and being embedded within that um, they're then able to have a certain degree of trust in me that I can take them in conversational terms into those spaces where perhaps it's going to get a little bit emotional and mm-hmm. maybe it's going to um, touch on some tricky subject matter but is going to be dealt with in a sensitive way but is also going to be somehow rewarding because it's not the conversation they get to have on a regular basis. Right. They get something back. Exactly. We were talking, we were talking about that before about yeah. how the interview process, um, I was going to say, but I didn't want to interrupt you. Your, your superpower seems to be being able to turn that on as a flashlight. So your incisive cutting in a good way, cutting insight and ability to like, all right, we're having this conversation. Um, do you find that that superpower is a little scary sometimes? Cause I find it's for me or for them, for you. So I find it's a little scary sometimes to sit down and have conversations with people. And then I ask them a question and then I watch them answer the question. Mm. And I think that maybe that's too much. Like maybe right. I should have said something like, you know, how was your coffee? And, and like <laughs> just gone for the social, you know, the social mm, things mm, that are mm, safe. Mm. So I'm wondering, have you, I'm also enjoying having a bit of a meta conversation mm-hmm. with somebody who's been, been on both yes. sides. And I'm wondering, do you find that you refrain sometimes, like intentionally refrain from pointing that flashlight no, at something? Hell no. Or you just absolutely not. No. I guess the producer in me is, I also know what I need to have at the back end. And mm-hmm. I know, I think I can spend time with someone and really know what, what from their message is going to be really strong, really powerful and resonating with an audience. And so I have to take them there, mm. have a responsibility to do that to them and to myself and to my audience. Um, so I can't avoid those tricky places and, um, Perhaps I trust in my ability to bring them back from that. It's something that actually in coaching terms, I talk about quite a lot in that I feel like as coaches, we have a responsibility. If we're going to take someone into a dark place, if that intensity piece I was talking about, like that is horrible. 
And when you push someone to that place where they are really hurting, mm. it can really unlock some emotional things that, that perhaps they weren't even aware yeah. existed. And as a coach, I think if you're going to take someone into that pain cave, you have to be willing and uh, able to bring them back out of that, right? We're always looking to cool people down and bring them back to the state within which we found them. And as an interviewer, I need to be able to do the same. And that means taking them to to a place where they are perhaps, you know, breaking down in floods of, of tears, but then finding finding the path that returns them to some normal state so that they can continue their life without feeling like they've been traumatized in any way mm -hmm. and that actually they can reflect upon it as a really beneficial process to them. And I think there's a lot of energy. I'm, I'm speaking from personal experience and from what I'm gathering as you're describing it. There's a lot of energy goes into being on the leading side. So it it can get very tiring. I know it gets tiring for me and I'm guessing you would, you would agree since you just said, mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm thinking that it gets very tiring and I'm wondering how do you uh, personally, how do you take care of your own personal, how do you create space? How do you, um, you know, maybe, maybe you recharge by doing really physical things or do you like hammocks and read books or like what, what do you do personally when you're like, okay, I now need to go recharge my batteries. I go and lock myself in a dark space. <laughs> very short period of time no um it is tiring is perhaps not the word i would use because that has a, a negative connotation i would it's energetically um there's an energetic expenditure that mm. happens um and there's and that's to do with the focus and attention that you're giving to someone and being not only present enough to let them feel supported and that you're really listening to what it is that they're saying, but you're listening in as much as you, part of you is also thinking into the future and where you can guide that person and what, what the next part of the conversation is so that you can lead them down a rabbit hole. So you, temporarily speaking, you're kind of split like in that moment you're there and you're present, but you are past, present and future simultaneously. And yes, that requires an awful lot of focus. Um, and to answer your question, I haven't yet figured out a way to really recharge my batteries from that other than solitude. It, I am an introvert and just, I really have to be alone and uh, have some time to not be thinking and not be talking. And what's your um, what's your drug of choice? I mean, other than literal like caffeine, but like, what, is it books? Is it hammocks? Is it literally the dark? I'm just curious to know. Mm. Mm, it will be movement based, probably. It will be training. I train by myself most of the time. Yeah, re rest and recovery is an interesting concept for me because I try as best as I can to walk my talk and uh, take care of myself. But I think most coaches will not necessarily live by mm. the tenets mm -hmm. that they that they or the the kind of um, Maybe they, they extol the virtues of rest and recovery and sleep and right. hydration, good nutrition, yada yada yada. But um, we're often not that great at taking care of ourselves. Um, so, if I think back to I spent um, ten solid days in New York filming with women from like when I'm on, I'm on. When I'm filming with somebody, I'm 
as you all know, like the, the really sweet spots are the moments where you switch off the equipment. It's the, the best bits of sync, the best sound bites will be when you're not recording and then you kick yourself. And I vowed to, to never switch off because I don't want to lose those moments. Um, they're all part of the process and they're all part of the gift that that person gives to me by agreeing for me to follow them around for three days. So, um, when I'm on, I'm on. And that means when I was in New York, I was perhaps shooting from 5am in the morning, which means I've been up since maybe 3am and I'll be with them until 11, 12 o'clock at night. So I may be getting three, four hours max sleep, but there is something about, there is something about the process that it feels right to give that, to give that energy in that moment and i trust that i will recoup it further on down next week right exactly um because also the other thing about me is i don't know how to not give everything um i don't know how to hold back uh so when i'm there and i'm in the process um that's all there is and i'm okay with that and i know that if it's even, you know, two, three, four weeks down the line that I will find ways to, to Mm. kind of, to re-energize. But most of the time it is just, just being a really, um, antisocial (laughs) person. And like when I, when I know I need my space, I know I need my space Mm -hmm. and I'm quite happy to tell people that, you know, I'm going off and, and I can be around people. This is the other thing, I guess I can be around people and be in my own space, but that, that also means that sometimes I have to have a dialogue with, with people in advance and kind of a precursor of caution. (laughs) Yes. This is like, this is me. Like, um, a couple of years ago at rendezvous, I had Bane staying with me and (laughs) (laughs) who I utterly adore. He's a fabulous, fabulous guy, but I'm not thinking that went entirely well. (laughs) So yeah, he, um, he just needed Andy Fisher, who is a dear friend of mine who understands my energy together. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So Andy just knows that like Charlotte's, Charlotte's doing Charlotte right now mm-hmm. and she just needs a bit of space. And, um, so I can be with people, but I will be in shutdown mode and I'll be quiet and just, you know, I was, I was going to say, I think that is a very, or, or that speaks very highly of you as demonstrating you have the wisdom to know this is what I'm good at. And if I continue to hang out, so sometimes I sneak away from social gatherings in the evening to go to sleep. And just cause I know I learned the hard way. If I continue to try and engage in this space, I'm going to run out of energy. Yes. And then the next morning it's going to be like, oh my God, I said what? Like I did what? Right. And, and it's, it's actually really good. I think that you're aware to say, all right, guys, I need, you know, or like, can I have yeah, a yeah. <laughs> yeah. Charlotte timeout, you know? Yeah. So, um, when I worked on Barbell Shrugged, the guys, I would send them out for pig breaks. Does this translate? Like they would play pig. pig. Is a pig? No horse. That's it. And like basketball. Oh, all right. You can cut that bit. Um, <laughs> I, I could, but we're not. <laughs> <laughs> so I would send them out into the garden to play. I don't know. It was basketball. I'm like, yeah. this is not my domain. Just bugger off and right. give me yes. some space. So I'd be, we would record in Chris's garage and it would be, you guys go outside and you just yeah. play. And, and this is how you renew <laughs> your energy. Right? <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, but for me, it was like, I need some space. And I know that whether you know, I'm just sitting there listening to music, but most times I'm just like sitting, like yes. being quiet. Mm-hmm. It really is as simple as that. 
um, quietening the inner space as much as the, mm. you know, extrinsic one. I think, yeah, I, I'm, I'm an only child and I'm an introvert. And so therefore my inter, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Craig's dancing right now. <laughs> In terms of my inner monologue, it's fairly relentless. And so finding space for me to switch off for my, um, for yeah my intellect and my ego or whatever else is running right inside to to find a sense of calm um and quiet is um is necessary mm-hmm. in those moments deep wisdom so there's a metaphor that i like which is charlotte if i handed you a bucket of murky choppy water and i asked you to calm the water you would look at me like i was an idiot and you would set the bucket on the floor and you would not touch it and i spent a lot of time trying to calm the water by effectively like no no right. stop you know like put my hands in the but that doesn't work just sit down and relax so i find that um just doing a little bit of breathing meditation gets mm-hmm. me a lot of space what kind of breathing do you do? So I, I love people who ask me intel- pointed questions. I prefer to do what they call square breathing, box breathing, box yep. breathing. So you know, uh, if Mark people- Devine um, did a so uh, U.S. CrossFit, um, um, but he's one of the, he's a Marine and he was one of the guys that kind of started box breathing. So, so I got that from martial arts practice. For those people who are like, "What's that?" I mean, you could Google it, but roughly speaking, the idea is to breathe in a square, even timing. So maybe four counts in, and there's a four count pause. You picture like going up the box, across the box, and a four count exhale, and then a four count across. And then you just change the count to whatever. You're not supposed to hyperventilate or be gasping. And the way I learned it in martial arts, the challenge was to, at the pauses on the top and bottom, don't close the gloitus. You're supposed to open Mm -hmm. so that if somebody were to push on your stomach, it'd be a little bit of like... Mm-hmm. air would move. And I find that trying to hold that, what made me think of this was trying to hold that space at the top and the bottom of the breathing is mm. sort of, I think what you're describing of trying to create a space in a more macroscopic sense for yourself to calm down and recover. But breathing happens to be one way that I like to do it. But I had another thread of thought, but I've lost it. <laughs> so what else springs to mind for you? Anything coming up that you want to throw at me or that you want to talk about? I have many more things we can talk about. Mm, I'll let you stay. So the question, <laughs> next question that comes to mind is when you were talking about downtime, you mentioned your inner monologue mm-hmm. and I have an inner monologue, but it's this not very nice person. It's obviously me and knows me particularly well. Yes. If I said to anybody else, the things that I say to myself, I'd be arrested. You wouldn't, and right. and it's not a, like, not yes. as a joke. And I know that that's been done. Um, there's been sessions that have been done where you pair up with a partner mm-hmm. and then you externalize the monologue and mm. people are like, you can't say that to me. Yeah. And I'm wondering what's your, what's your internal monologue? Oh. Like, is it like that? And, and okay, how do it's you, it's very aggressive. How do you, how, how do you pick that apart? How do you, how does one like, you know, let's, let's find some tools. Like how do we pick that apart to learn to become more kind to ourselves? Mm. Ooh. I'm still trying to find that one out. Yeah. So what you're describing is actually a session that Naomi Honey does at Whipwa. And yeah, it's, uh, you would never, ever, ever, ever say these things to somebody else that you'd be willing to say to yourself. And so therefore I think I try and I have, I'm exploring, let's say the child, the inner child that has these very aggressive kind of words for oneself, but also knowing that the coach can exist internally as well. And so I try and coach myself through those things. It's still an ongoing process, but I think the first thing to do as well is just to acknowledge 
that those that 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 monologue or that those words exist those feelings are okay that i think a lot of the times we're trying to push aside there's a lot of shoulds and um there's not a lot of acceptance Hmm. and what i try to do is acknowledge and accept who i am and where i am and what i am in in the moment and so if i am feeling aggressive towards myself to know that those feelings are apart from me they're not they are not me um they're a quality uh, a substance that is put on top and to be able to see those things and decide for myself whether i want to inhabit them mm. whether i like items of clothing do i really want to wear this right now and i think a lot of people don't feel capable of making that choice and they don't have the language yet to or the experience to be able to say that this is something that's separate from me um yes it's coming from me but i don't need to um embody it um i can acknowledge the fact that i feel this way and um rightly or wrongly you know i might hate myself in this moment but those are just feelings and um i might feel like i'm not enough i might feel like i'm shit at something i'm terrible i'm a bad person i'm a bad athlete whatever it is but these are just feelings about who i am and my performance and and i don't need to indulge in them mm. i can just allow them to be and then i can decide to move away from them and i can decide to change that narrative for myself so that i can then the coach in me can then step in and and um provide a different kind of language and that's not to say that we need to provide excuses for ourselves i think saying well i'm shit at something you know i i can't yet deadlift 120 kilos okay well that doesn't you know or i just missed my lift i it doesn't make me a bad athlete it means that um maybe i didn't get enough sleep or you know there's stresses in my life whatever the things are that are mitigating my performance in that moment um i can accept those things i don't need to use them as excuses i can like they're not reasons to corroborate the fact that i'm a bad person i'm a bad athlete yada 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 they can just exist as things that i can put down and step away from and then i can inhabit a new space and i try not to do the to kind of swing between this love hate relationship i think there's a lot of inauthentic sunshine and rainbows out there like the everything is awesome amen Wait, I, i can't stand that i can't i can't do it i just can't oh, and i, I find I it quite do it. <laughs> i don't do sunshine and rainbows i find it quite <laughs> abhorrent like it feels very uncomfortable to me and i think it is because it feels inauthentic it's um it's it's inauthentic to me i'm like i'm uh i'd like to say i'm not a pessimist but i'm a realist mm. and so therefore doing the the kind of like care bears and you know <laughs> all of that it just no i, no, I love it that's it just it. it doesn't work for me so but but equally we have to find some middle ground right, right. so i can acknowledge the fact that there is a voice inside me that is saying you're a piece of shit right now but i don't need to change that yeah. i can just move away from it because i think when you um you try and suppress that thing it just makes it worse yes it's like a child like i say you tell a child to stop crying they're going to cry even harder because it, they want attention they want to be noticed so if you acknowledge where they're at but then try and steer away from that 
to me, that sounds like, uh, it seems like a better course of action than to trying to suppress something because you don't suppress it. You just push it down. And what do you do then? You compress, compress it. it and make it more intense. Exactly. And then sure as shit, that thing's going to come back and bite you in the ass when you don't want it to, mm. when you least expect it. And so, yeah, it just feels like instead just like being a witness to it, I see you. Mm. I see that this thing exists. Make space for there. And then, yeah. And then, but acknowledge it and then decide that I don't have to be that thing right now. I can move away from it. Realizing that you have agency within that. I think that's really important. Mm. A couple of times you used in, in different combinations and ways you use the ideas of deciding and moving with mm-hmm. a forward context. And I really like that that wording mm-hmm. uh, just generally, but also like the way you used it. So I'm wondering, well, let's like flip our conversation over. So if you think about deciding and moving in positive direction in terms of like total wishing, where do you see yourself in say five years? That's a, that's. I don't go there. Like, <laughs> you don't have to go there. Um, like, you can take a mulligan no, and take a pass. <laughs> nah. <laughs> the Fifth Amendment. No, nope, it doesn't to apply it. to you. Wrong <laughs> <laughs> no, citizenship. Um, I don't do. I don't do the planning thing, and there's a real reason for that. In that, um, in my experience, there. As soon as you start planning, if you like, you can have an idea of the direction within what you you want to chart your course but if you plan for that thing the world is going to turn sure and we have this this notion of control um is so fragile and so i'd rather have have a loose idea of where i want to go but no plans for how i'm going to get there um because yeah in my experience every time that i have gone into more finite detail of you know these are the different steps that are going to get me to this place, whether it's career, relationships, um, my training, any of those things. It feels like a fool's errand. It just, because those are the moments where something has kind of come and bust that whole scene apart. And not only have, I guess, plans not worked out, but it's like the whole landscape has changed. And it just now it's perhaps it's from fear that I don't plan things, but it's uh, it feels like a better a better thing to have and have a rough idea. So to come back to your question, <laughs> I was going to ask. Okay, so what's the rough yeah. direction? <laughs> <laughs> um, so for my company, it's just going to continue to be you know the the framework that Ironheart Studios works around is that. Uh, is to find a spark of light and turn it into a beacon for all people to see. So it's to continue finding those people that have a very strong message and shape that into a vehicle that can make positive change within the world. So in some ways, it's just to continue doing what I do. I'd like to to do it in a way that facilitates some downtime for me. I would like to be able to start doing those things that I'm not, which are sleeping for eight hours and (laughs) taking rest breaks Mm -hmm. and just renewing myself. Because also I can see uh, how, like we don't know how ineffectual we are when we are in that space. And it's only when you take a step away from that that you can go, oh, holy heck. Like Mm -hmm. I was running pretty close to empty and I could still be functional 
Um, I think our capacity for functionality is insane. Like I do not know where my limits are in terms of that. I've experienced pretty close to burnout recently where I felt emotionally where the barriers were, but but I just don't know capacity wise where, where that stops, where there's a breakdown that occurs. I know that I can just keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. So that's where that forward motion is perhaps not all that uh, great because I suspect that, well, actually what I crave is the ability to stop and to, to really genuinely have some downtime and to step away from things and renew so that I can be better at what it is that I'm doing. Because whilst I know that I have a sense that I could be doing better, I just don't know what that looks like because I'm too far into the weeds of mm. this now. Um, so, yeah, I would... Um, I just want to keep telling stories, really. I want to keep impacting people. I want to, I never have a sense when I, when I make my work. And that was something that um, I was talking to Melissa about with Whip was that it was really emotional for me having immediate feedback from these women about their experience of the weekend. Because most times when I'm coaching a class, I don't hear back from people, you know, that like people at the you end of the class are like, dash, thanks right. very much. And yeah, 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 exactly. And in some ways I don't need it. I'm, I, like I have said before, I trust in my process. And so when I make something, I put it out into the world mm-hmm. and I, it's, I'm not attached to it after that point. You can't be as a creative. You can't be. <laughs> nope. You, no. You put it out there. You do everything that you can do in in the creative process, but then you have to be willing to just put it out there. And it's not yours anymore. It becomes like it really isn't yours right. because it's open for the interpretation of the individual that receives it. So like you've done your part. It it belongs to everybody else now. To, to then be in a space where I can do something, I can give something and like right there and then in that moment, I see the return on that investment is very new to me. And it was like, whoa, <laughs> it's kind of bowled over by this wave of gratitude and emotion from these people. And that's not something that I'm used to. I put my work out there. It is what it is. I don't know whether, like I have a, a sense that, it can help people and it can put it this way. If my, if my film can make you cry, it's pulled on your heartstrings and it's going to have a much more resonating effect than you looking at something and going, Oh, that was really cool. Cool is worth sweet FA. You're allowed to curse. It, it's, you know, it's a style over substance thing. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to think that my work is about substance yeah, to have that. I'm all about the long game. I'm all like immediate gratification is not part of my world, really. Not meaning to sound like I've kind of, I'm in an upper echelon above other people, but it's just not, it's not something that interests me because I know the benefit of the long game. Of the I mean, hard work. As, yeah. And, you know, that's, that is also, you have to get to grips with that within strength and conditioning. Like you are not going to see gains in the short term. When you've been doing this for long enough, you realize that this is, it's about process and it's going to be a long, slow road to get to where you want to go. And you have to be okay with that. And you have to find, um, you have to find your why 
And you have to have clear rationale for what it is that you're doing beyond the numbers, beyond the immediate gratification of, I just did such and such a thing. I just PR'd or I just, you know, achieved these smaller goals. You have to be able to move away from that. So, so to be able to have an experience that, with those women and hear from them on the spot that it just triggered something or it just had a, had a, a good kind of, um, it landed where it was supposed to. That was, that was really rewarding for me and very different. I can't remember why I started talking about that. I'm not Kasturi. Okay. I can't <laughs> find That's my okay. way back after 10 minutes of waffling. No, no, no. I was just, I was just like watching. I'm like, okay, I think you're, I think you need a break. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I do want to ask another. So I have uh, those questions. I have a hard question. Okay. Um, so just off to the side of what we're talking about is a big, dark, scary precipice, which is what are you, have you thought about? What are your thoughts on mortality? So what happens mm-hmm. when you're all done? Hmm. I think about that all the time. <laughs> the, my notion of time is quite different to other people's, I would say. Um, I've experienced a lot of departures from my life and kind of ones that have happened very abruptly. So as a result of that, I try to, not I try to, I just do have an underlying kind of notion that there is no tomorrow and so you must do everything that you need to in the moment. Make no presumptions about the fact that tomorrow will be or that there is another day, another day, another day. You just don't know. At the risk of interrupting you, I know I noticed that you said do everything that you need to do as opposed to everything that you can do. And I think that's a very important distinction. I, 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 don't, I don't know how intentionally you're choosing your words, but I think most people would say, that they need to do everything they can do today if they're going to hold that mindset of Mm. uncertainty. And I I think that's a very um, enlightened, it's not quite the right word, but I think it's a very wise observation on your part to say, I'm choosing to do the things that I need to do for me. Mm. And because you and I both know that means that you're also able to do the work that helps others. But but putting yourself first and taking care and doing those needs, I think that's very important. It's about purpose. What were you put here for? What do you feel like your essential quality is in this space? And you, like, this is your reason for being. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't, I'd, I don't know. Like I said, I'd, I, all of this kind of comes into focus when you have experienced a lot of death, quite simply. And it just makes you reframe things in a, it has to be now it has to be now and it has to be what is important and what you need is important what you what you were put here for what you feel like your purpose is is absolutely important and so follow that like there's there will be plenty of time for want and desire around that but i think attend to what is needed first and yeah it's um if someone were to tell you that uh, you have three days left, it, I promise you it would shift your perception of, of immediacy and, and what needs to happen. It would clean the slate of all the bullshit things that, that, you know, that take up your day. You would suddenly start spending your fucks wisely and you would care about a whole lot else other than the things that society tells you or, you know, the conditions that are placed on you by family and your work and whatever, mm. you'd start cutting to the quick of these things. 
part of my story is that I had someone very dear to me pass away through suicide. And when you are touched by that, it's just such a, it's, it's something that is so prevalent now. Like most people know someone who knows someone who has taken their life. And it's still this tricky subject that we, we don't want to touch on it. And the reason being is because I think it scares people like how close it can be. Yes. And is it going to shift my paradigm too? Because it does. And I think that's the thing for me in that because it shifted my paradigm in a, okay, I don't actually need to be here every day. Like it's a choice. And so therefore when you have that double-edged sword of like you, you could be taken out by a London bus the second you walk out of this, this joint, or, you know, you could, you could, reach the point where you cannot go on and you could make that decision for yourself. It really does kind of reframe things and what has to happen in the time that I'm here for. You can't go onwards without questioning what am I here for? And in some ways it's the gift that was granted to me by experiencing what I went through. I'm just trying to decide what needs to be said. This is that thing I was talking about. <laughs> we were saying on the train, or I was saying on the train that um, there's so much noise out there. You know, everyone has a social feed. Everyone has a following. Everyone has an audience to some degree or another. But the question of whether someone is listening or not is a different matter. Exactly. Like I have a, figuratively speaking, one has a following, but it, but one also knows full well that you're not being heard. Right. If you have somebody who hears you, that's awesome. Right. But most people, I think, don't. And so this feels like you guys have a following. You have people that are listening. So I was saying on the train, it just kind of feels important. <laughs> well, you do. Come on now. I was, I was just like, oh, I don't even think about that. I'm, I'm, I'm busy <laughs> like, trying to watch scary. the time and be kind in yeah, what yeah. we're doing here. But and it's it, like it, when you have the opportunity to be in front yes. of a microphone and to have people listening, what is it that is essential? What do you want to yeah. say? So I'm just trying to figure that one out without crying because I hate doing that. No, but it's... it's uh, it's vital for people to get in touch with their emotions. And that's why I do what I do. I think it's also, but it's still a really sticky point for me. <laughs> and I didn't go there knowing that I'd like, I, no, I was no, aware no. of that, but um, I think it's important for people um, to see that other people are struggling. So to see the different challenges that other people right. face and that, then they go, no, Oh, okay. So you still haven't, one still hasn't found an ear, but one at least can see, all right, there are other people on the tube with me right now who are going through very similar struggles, right. even though we all look at, we're all the same. Yes, yes, yes. You know, we're maintaining that veneer on the outside. Yeah. yeah. Like, vocabulary fail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And actually that's something that whilst I hate the social media thing, I try really hard to put out a, an authentic message that oftentimes is about struggle hmm. because I want to be able to let people feel a sense of connectedness that we're not all, we don't have to put out our, you know, highlight reel right. and we are all human and we are all struggling in our own right. And it's okay to be there. Yeah. That, that broadcast of the perfect 
you know, the epitome version of it's things. It's such bullshit. And, and it's, and we all know, like, I'm not going to name drop, but I've seen people spend 30 minutes to capture the video clip that 100,000 people are going to look at and love. And it's like, I think the video clip is great when it's done, but I implicitly understand what that clip represents. Right. And I see the the experience that that person went through and the people who were out yeah. of the camera and like how they sat down and chit-chatted and then there's up there, they caught it. But I think that if people haven't taken the time to try and create, then they don't understand like what they're consuming. So mm-hmm. I think, uh, I, I kind of hesitate to put myself mm-hmm. in the, even the same you know tube as you, but like people who create and understand all the process and we see the artifact that we create and we're mm-hmm. like, wait, oh, that's perfect. And then we put it out. If you haven't created and tried to create that artifact, you're just seeing the artifacts and you don't actually appreciate them the same way that the other creators do. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there's anything that you or I or anybody who's a creator can do about that other than maybe to encourage more people to try and create. Maybe that's why so many people are drawn randomly to learn to play the piano or learn to paint. They just mm-hmm. have an inner calling to create. I think that creating things is a very important skill or yes, habit to develop. And that's something I didn't, I, I didn't start podcasting as like, I want to create, you know, mm-hmm. I just was having unbelievable conversations with people all the time. And then some people literally like glommed onto the back and at the end said, that should have been a podcast. I would have downloaded mm-hmm. that and listened to it. And I went, oh yeah, that's a good point. We could record this. So we, the format's a little different than like strolling to the next jam spot, but it's uh, I think it's a privilege. I'm just, this is just a psych analysis for me in reverse. I just listen to people. I think, but yeah, I think um, people have a natural calling to create things, but then there's this uh, idea that therefore the product must be perfect. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're so uh, guided away from process and the understanding that the best things come out of that process, that certainly the most rewarding things, the lessons come from that. And so therefore that should really be the focus. The point, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's the messy middle that we're always looking for perfection and to be something, to be enough, to be, you know, um, accepted. But, the in some ways the final product is irrelevant it's the process and the, because that's where the real beauty and the real um the, the messy is the beautiful yeah part. the change that's where that happens so and that again comes back to that get curious just play right it's um it doesn't have to be any one thing it's just an experience mm-hmm. of a thing and that's why we don't plan for things because then that means we have a preconceived notion, notion of what they should going, be. Right? right. I love Alice, uh, Lewis Carroll's curiouser and curiouser. Indeed. Long ago, maybe 20 some years ago, if you went to thesaurus.com mm-hmm. and looked up the word curiouser, the definition that was, sorry, go to the dictionary.com, the, the returned one, they, use your words, Craig. The returned definition <laughs> was Look up curiouser, and the answer was curiouser and curiouser. Like nice. it just, and then they were linked. You could just go around and around, and I think somebody bought them and made them clean that up. Now it's a normal definition Very of curiouser. Cool. But I think about that a lot when some when I encounter something that's really wasn't expecting that. I just mm. I can hear Alice going curiouser and mm. curiouser. Mm. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that book. Yeah, oh, I'm a huge fan of 
Alice in Wonderland. Mm. It's um, like to come back to Bane, his nickname for me is Alice Mm. um, because, yeah, I have a big attachment to that that, uh, story in that this, um, you know, while she's trying to, uh, she drinks a potion that that makes One her the size that she yeah, right. <laughs> that she needs to be. This this notion of what, what she's, she's supposed to, to be. It's only when she goes into this space of a play and imagination and and starts to um, pull apart those things, those notions, that she actually can be what she is. Hmm. Uh, and she can step into that. Uh, I think that's really powerful. That being said, parkour is the one area for me that is it comes back to my dance background in that uh it's it's a kind of movement system or a way of moving that i feel like i have to be perfect in which is which is again to tie things back together again that's it's um it's a sticking point for me and it hooks into a lot of um the emotional things we kind of you saved me from um <laughs> oh, you noticed that did you <laughs> um yeah so you were talking before about that uh in a monologue that we have and we often have right. these like really harsh words for ourselves i have managed to get to a space with my strength and conditioning training where i don't have that with myself anymore and i don't i'm not attached to numbers and i'm not attached to uh what i should be able to do that's not. Uh, I'm surprised to hear you say that. I I would have thought that that would be one space where. Oh, you were I was pers- there. Believe me, like that's actually why I stepped away from doing CrossFit. Oh no, I meant of- I meant you. What you're saying about your experience of parkour, I would have thought that I would have guessed that parkour was your one of your go-to. I'm free here. Oh, type no, 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 no. Ooh, total no. misread. Yeah, because there's this there's this whole sense of um, that parkour is natural human movement and is something that we should all be able to do but i think we all have the potential to be able to do it and whether we can do it or not at at this point in time is a very different thing and there's there's a big space between being a beginner and being you know like not even elite level but you see coaches who move so elegantly and can do so many things. They're so capable. Um, oh, where was I going with that? Yeah, you're definitely going to have to edit this. Or not. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's painful. Um, no, it's not painful. I, I think it's, I'll just let you, don't listen to me too much. This like, is but, my perfectionist speaking, by the way. Ding. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, the ego is running right. Uh, right so now. is mine. I, I, I'm running an internal, like, what have we covered? Don't, you know, where are we going? How is this, you know, what's the vision for the finished piece? But I think that the hardest part of, like, I'm talking about parkour and being comfortable mm-hmm. in parkour. I think the hardest part of that you have already done, which is to, first of all, begin. Mm. Most people, the vast majority of people have not ever begun. I hope that someday people all begin, but for now, people have not begun. Mm. And then I think you have already realized that you've already like gone beyond the beginner level, way beyond the beginner level, and realized that, all right, now I see what the challenge is for me. The challenge isn't physical. The challenge is mental. Right. And, and I, that's a whole nother, that's yes. like another lesson that yep. the vast majority of people, I think, especially people who don't start in a coached environment, but the people who do manage to start, the vast majority of them never even notice that that's a thing, that they mm. need to learn to move beyond. My, my opinion, I'm not a coach. I don't even play one on TV. So I think that you're realizing that that's a challenge. That's, yeah, just let that sit a while and you'll break it open based on what I'm hearing. But it's, well, yeah, it's... um. 
you just get to the heart of who you are very quickly <laughs> within this training and you you can avoid that in other other training areas because you're not having to embrace fear all the mm. time the second you get scared you have to meet yourself mm. and you might not like what it is that you see and some of the the that voice that kicks off might uncover areas that you have been avoiding for a while and that certainly is the case for me with parkour i managed to kind of coach myself out of that with strength and conditioning and moved away from crossfit because that the redlining in that when i was like, feed the monster right <laughs> yeah it just it, it wasn't good but that being said that's why there's something about parkour that is enabling me to deal with these things and that's why i can't step away from it i'm forever asking coaches just like throw me a bone here like tell me that this is just not for me tell me i'm never going to be good at this please <laughs> no one is going to tell like, you no, that charlotte <laughs> <laughs> i'm like please just just do me a favor because it would make life so much easier but there is there's a there's part of me that wants to be good at this also the ex-dancer in me sees the the creativity the choreography the beautiful movement within it the athleticism and there's a there's a like i would like to be moving in this way again i would like to be able to do this but there's so many kind of layers that presuppose that that you have to cut through and in some ways it doesn't matter and this is my constant frustration like i train to be a beast and yet when it comes to parkour, there's so much I can't do. And my, my physical strength and my athleticism means jack shit when it comes to parkour because my fear of things puts a cap on my physical capabilities. So it's a perpetual conundrum for me because until I, until I deal with my headspace, my body cannot do what it is destined to do. Hmm. Yeah, that's really annoying. <laughs> Somebody help me with that, though. Um, but but ultimately, what it means is that um, parkour is is essentially a way to do therapy. Like it's it's making me. It's not making me. It's because I'm choosing to do it. But it's asking me hmm. to have a dialogue with myself and to to deal with these things. And until I do that. There's, there's probably, there will be small gains that are made in terms of my progress physically, but I, it's, it's not going to be what it could be mm. because my head is always getting in the way. I know there are a lot of other people that do that. And so I hope that, I don't know, that, that, that they don't feel like hearing me say this means that people don't feel like they're, they're other, they're different. Cause actually I think the majority of people feel this way. I would agree. Right? But yeah, it's whether you, whether you're willing to go there, like I would implore people to, to whatever it is that feels scary, whatever it is that kicks up these feelings is probably the, the direction that you should be headed in. Right. Yeah. So don't step away from the edge, like just stay there for a little bit longer. Like wait for the adrenaline to wear off, deal with whatever gets kicked up in the process. And perhaps next time you might be able to move a little bit further forward. Mm -hmm. That's certainly my hope. So I'm guessing that you would agree, but correct me if I'm wrong, that parkour, when you go out, you know, when one goes out and does parkour, that you 
could divide the doing into two basic categories. One category is I'm just doing the physicality and I'm, I'm getting stronger and I'm improving my tech, but I'm not really working on that piece that we were just talking about, that mm-hmm. piece of the personal challenge. So, and I'll give you a grammatical question. Are there particular activities that you do and do you intentionally go out and go at that, the really hard part of it? Or do you just, it sneaks up on you and you're like, oh, here's that monster again. All right. Because I guess. Or do you go out and and like, where's the monster? I'm diving on it. No, 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 no. Um, God, no, I'm not at that stage. Like most things really scare me, like really terrify me. But because they also tap into that sense of not being enough, Mm -hmm. like as, as someone that can clean and jerk their body weight like jumping to a curb should not should (laughs) not not be in inverted commas be scary but my notion of what that should look like what it should feel like what it should be how perfect that should be and my inability to recreate that vision is full hard stop at the end of the sentence so i don't need to go and do the air quotes big thing I don't need to go anywhere. I can't go anywhere close to those things because it gets emotional and it gets really sticky very quickly because I want to be good at parkour, whatever that means. I want to have an expression of my physicality that feels like it's in alignment with what I can do. But but every time I try for that, every time I go there, the the person I am steps in front of that. Hmm. And so I have to deal with that. But importantly, that's that's a dance that I'm willing to engage with because I want to move beyond it. And so I'll I'll do the two-step at this moment in hmm. time with the partner that I have in front of me. Otherwise, I need to step away. And I don't want to do that. I'm not a quitter, but equally... I can see that this is the direction that I'm supposed to be headed in. So to answer your question, there is no one thing that I do. There's no particular exercises. It can be everything and anything. It's more I have to get a read on where I am on that day. You know, I'll, I'll advise my athletes when they come in to train with me, you know, base, base your impressions of your session for start off of your effort. Like it should be about progress over perfection and the effort that you put into something and if your effort was 100% and you couldn't have given more to that then end of that was all you could possibly do there so and and your effort will be guided by how well nourished you are how stressed you are how well you've slept all of those the components that fit within your physicality so I need to take a measure of those things but but those can also be like wiped aside by whatever happens in that moment. And like I said, the, for me, the emotional baggage that I'm carrying is something that is bloody heavy and has been controlled and suppressed for quite a long time. I've managed to manage those feelings and now they are getting to a point where, um, I can't, the, my capabilities within parkour are decreasing rapidly because this thing just wants to be heard and it wants to be dealt with. It sounds as if I have some kind of like alien entity inside (laughs) me, (laughs) but it is, but but it's just this thing that it just, it will just keep bubbling to the surface. And so 
it it has gone from me me feeling like I can I can do a fair number of things I can run a route to now okay in all likelihood I can be jumping to the bottom step of a stairs and you know it's gonna Here come it up comes. now yeah um and it's all attached to ego it's attached to my self, sense of self-worth and you know but it the the PTSD that I have and the grief journey that I've been through and the trauma around that is I refer to it as like a sticky subject and so it it doesn't take much for that to attach to something and suddenly you're in this spiral of of emotions so yeah it's I'm using parkour I've I've had to take the decision that parkour for me isn't isn't something fun to do it's it's a means to an end right now it will be fun at some point in time because it has been previously but right now it's therapy shortcut and right into the monster it's, right it's yeah and it's the thing that has to be done but it has to be done because i have a sense of um what lies beyond that and i want to get there and uh, that area is exciting for me so it's facilitating personal growth and you know everyone talks about how personally developmental parkour is a, as a training methodology and i have to say yeah 100 percent. like above and beyond anything else that i've done it gets you there quickly and that means that i just need to reframe how i look at it right now i can't look at it as the fun the thing that i do for fun because it's not <laughs> it's painful but that's what that's where i need to be i am exactly where i need to be so I'm not going to take a step back from that as much as I am trying to find that coach who's out there that will be willing to tell me that I should stop um, and, and and give me that underhand pass. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll keep going with this and keep trying to, yeah, work through my my demons and, and um, cut myself some slack, maybe. <laughs> So in the random direction, um, who's the first person that comes to mind when I say successful? Mm. <laughs> I'm going to throw a question back at you. That's totally fine. Uh, just because success is means different things to different people. So it depends on whether you're talking about like self-actualization or, or career or in their athletic mm. pursuit or... So the the subliminal mode hidden in the question is how do you define success? And then based on your definition of success, which most people wind up unpacking in answering, is kind of where the question is aimed at. So what I think I have an idea of what you would consider success, but I think so the person that I started my business with, Chris Moore, probably him just because he was whilst he passed away really ridiculously early. Chris is 35 he was one of the hosts on barbell shrugged and had had a powerlifting career and had been an american football player and um, had a lot of records to his name but i think his greatest success was probably his ability to reach people in a way that they weren't expecting so chris's gift was really to be able to combine the very dry technical data-based information of strength and conditioning and blend that really elegantly with philosophy and theology and you know terms and ideas that perhaps your meat headlifter would not have necessarily 
You keep laughing every time I say that. Like, is that, have I just, like, no, sworn? I, I, like, I, no, I have the same image. I hate beet lifting. Okay. Every time you say it, I just think it's funny because I love the visual that goes that. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt That's you. That's okay. <laughs> but So he, he could really elegantly combine <laughs> concepts, let's say, for for people that would not necessarily embrace them. And he could do it effortlessly. And for me, the reason why we do what we do is to connect people, right, with each other and with ideas that aren't necessarily within their field of vision. And, you know, if you walked up to a person in a gym who, let's say, is a bodybuilder who is looking to train for aesthetic purposes and you gave them the Bhagavad Gita and said, go away and read this because you're going to learn a lot about training and a lot about life within this text. They were probably just like, thanks, but no thanks, push it to one side, carry on with their bicep curls, which is all well and good. But um, what Chris could do was inspire people to want to learn more about the world, Mm. themselves, history, like where they've come from, why people think the way they think, why they think the way they think. And yeah, he really connected people through that. And that's super powerful. Like that's a superpower genuinely to connect people in a world where so much is about being disparate and tearing people apart. Like there's something very, very powerful about being able to interweave people and to first see who should be interweaved i was going to ask do you think he knew that he had that superpower no but also just because he was ridiculously humble and he you know he he saw himself and and for all intents and purposes a lot of the world initially saw him as just the comedian on the show you know he was there for shits and giggles he was the person that when when the dryness of strength and conditioning and weightlifting information has kind of you know, like sucked the life out <laughs> of the conversation. the conversation. Yeah, he was the one that could just throw in like a little, you know, one lighter. And lots of people just saw that as light entertainment, but then other people really understood kind of that that was the glue that held things together. And um, that you need that. You need to, for a site, you need to not take yourself so seriously and don't take life so seriously. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, this is the thing that actually resonates with people. It's what brings the barriers down. Mm-hmm. It's what helps them to understand it and feel connected and feel like this is something for them. Again, it's what res- resonates. These were terms, you know, responsible, resonating, storytelling. These were the terms that we came up with when we were establishing Einhardt because we didn't want to be part of the noise that was out there already. And we wanted to do something that was genuinely about change. And yeah, he, he, no, he did not at all know what his superpower was. He didn't know the efficacy of what he was doing, but my God, when he passed away, the amount of outpouring of love for him was just intense. So many people feeling like, you know, he helped them be better versions of themselves. Like, who can say that? Hmm. That's a rare quality. So what do you think your superpower is? 
bullshit. <laughs> and waffling, Abil clearly. Ability, ability to bullshit? Or are you calling like, bullshit on my question? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, I, I, my knee-jerk answer is um, hustle. Like, my... I'm, I've said this a million times over. I'm like really not smart. I'm not like well educated. I'm, I'm definitely not the most intelligent person in the room, but my God, will I outwork anyone? Will Smith said, paraphrasing something like, you may have it on me in 19 categories, maybe bigger, smarter, faster, you know, start. But he said, I'll, I'll guarantee one thing. If we get on the treadmill together, I'm getting off after you or I'm dying. And, and he was just mm -hmm. like, work, 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 work ethic. Yeah. Yeah. In that spirit of that. I mean, yeah. So it's, um, I guess I'm trying to hone that in, in that I'm trying to learn when it's time to work hard and when it's time not to. I was going to say, if I can venture to mention back to where we all started with this, that can be a vicious, uh, a vicious beast to feed. I, mm. I have the same mm -hmm. work ethic or the same, I could, oh, if I just worked on this a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and I think, I want to ask, have you made any progress on how do you keep that dog reined in so that you don't let your superpower wind up destroying the rest of your life? Mm. It's still a work in progress, let's say. But it's a different thing, though, because I, I'm very privileged to do what I love. You know, it it just about keeps a roof over my head and food on the table. <laughs> but the sense of joy that I get from... Doing that feeds everything, you know. Yeah. When you have a big enough why, you know, the rest, you're willing to suffer so much. So, and it's not suffering. It's really not. Suffering to me would be doing a nine to five stuck behind a desk, like not. No efficacy, right? Right. No purpose, really. So, and I, I think you really do, it, it enables you to reframe your sense of suffering. Like, not only do I get that from my training, and yes, you know, I'm training for the zombie apocalypse and whatever else, but I'm, but you know, I'm training for, for the day when I'm destitute, for the day where I can't do what it is I want to do anymore, the day where, you know, the, the tomorrow that, that is the worst case scenario. Like, I, I, so, yeah, and it would be a slow death to be behind a desk still. Or to be, like, so this is the reason why I stepped away from working in TV. I had a damn good job working in the TV industry, and I had worked hard to get to the position that I was and battle through vast amounts of sexism and ageism and, you know, to get to this this level where I felt like I was finally being able to... to embrace some creativity and not just doing kind of monkey edit jobs and you know but I then also realized that I probably wasn't supposed to be stuck behind a desk for anything up to 18 hours a day in a room with no natural air and no natural light and you know a black box of being able to make something but you know am I really making something of value here you know my films that I make now god knows how many people see those one two hundred thousand I don't know it's distinctly less than when I worked in TV, but you know, you only have to create difference for one person, right? So it doesn't matter to me that maybe only one person sees and hears the message that I put out there. That's enough for me. So, and I will do everything possible to make sure that that message gets out there. 
And also because, you know, I'm filming people who have such a powerful message to give and they don't have a vehicle for that. They don't have an outlet. That's my job is to, to be able to take, take an everyday story. Like, well, they're not everyday. That's bullshit. They're extraordinary, but to take an everyday person Mm -hmm. and to tell their extraordinary story that perhaps creates some change, some positivity, uh, some inspiration within another everyday person out there on the other side of the world that inspires them to, to be different, to embrace their physicality, embrace their inner strength, like just get outside of themselves, do more, be more. If I can do that, then it makes everything worthwhile. And no amount of money in the bank, no security of having my own house or a fancy car or yearly holidays. <clears throat> Those things mean nothing in comparison to feeling like I am fulfilling my purpose by helping to help somebody else. Um, has anything percolated to the top mm, in stories? stories? No, doesn't, you don't have to go there. It's just because you've actually yeah, told a, a few stories. Yeah, already, it's just a thing about what is useful for people it doesn't have to be useful it can be completely uh, non-sequitur favorite sunny day favorite I've I'm just so lucky you know I've had many different experiences so it's really hard to pinpoint one particular story because there are a multitude of those and that does come down to you know I'm gonna say the phrase um going right a friend of mine Logan Gelbrick just came up with a book very good one. Um, so go right. And it's just this, you know, not necessarily following the, the stream, not going in the same direction as everyone else, but following like there is a logical path to following your dreams. And, um, the things that will come out of that will only be rich and beneficial and like really, really rewarding. So there, it's hard to pinpoint one story because there's many different occasions where I've done what is the uncomfortable thing and not the, the clear path forward, not the plan, not the, you know, follow A, B, C, D or steps one <laughs> through 10 and it's going to get you to where you want to go. Like, mm, is that really going to be the way you want to go? Is that really what you want to do? Um, I don't know yet. So I'll follow the potential and I'll go down this route and, you know, it has, enabled me to experience many many different things that are just I can see a through line from my dance career all the way to where I am sitting here now but it's fairly tenuous but also it's <laughs> it's um it it's a very curvy winding road and but it has all happened for a reason and the experiences that I've had from that I just would never have gotten if I'd followed that plan that kind of charted journey that that was from A to B to C. So yeah, it's hard to pick one thing. There's there's like my time with Barbar Shrugged was intense and amazing. Like working with these guys who are all like different backgrounds, different energies, just an incredible part of my life. Um, you know, and the and the coaches within strength and conditioning and CrossFit and weightlifting and that I that I got to spend time with was just amazing like Mike Bergener is just the most wonderful uh, father figure and to be able to spend time with him and and learn a little bit from him was was amazing um 
But yeah, it's just hard to pinpoint any particular. I don't, I don't know what's useful to people. So I wouldn't think about what's useful to people. I'd think of what story came to mind that you thought would be fun to share. But you don't have to. It's just a, a fun question to ask people and see what comes to mind. But like I said, you've already told a few stories in answering other questions. Yeah, I don't know if I can. It's all good. Sorry. Um, has anything else sprung to mind? I think we should begin winding up. Okay. Anything else sprung to mind that you want to bring up or that you want to shout out to people to go read or consider? Or sometimes I worry that people listen and they might get inspired or feel that there's a tap on the glass that has happened to okay. them and then launching them off on like that book suggestion. I think that's always mm. handy to give people like a where to go next. Right. But also tough to answer on the fly because you know you didn't show up being prepared. <laughs> I think that yeah, that's a, a a great book for people who are wanting to who kind of have a sense that they want to kind of what do I want to say that they are not following their purpose that they that, that they're kind of leading a, a shadow existence and there's they are supposed to be something else. Rather than giving up our agency, let's do something about that and move in that direction. And yes, that's probably going to be an uncomfortable journey. And that this book just gives, um, it shows the efficacy of that decision making. That actually, whilst the world will try to convince you that following your dreams and following the, the, things that you feel like you should be doing that are essential to your being. It's a, it's a scary and um, long road. There's absolutely nothing immediate about the rewards within that. And so that's what puts people off. And, you know, you have a whole bunch of people saying, don't do this, you know, stick with security, stick with what you can control right now. The, this book really gives a very logical explanation of why that isn't the right way of conducting yourself. So it takes it out of that dreamer headspace mm. in some ways and provides very clear data on, on that. So a clear rationale. And I feel like that's kind of the missing piece for some people. Like they feel like dreaming is, is just that, you, you know, it's, it's imagination and that shouldn't be trusted. But instead I think imagination comes from the heart and it's, and it isn't logical. It doesn't have to be and it shouldn't be. Um, it's about thinking bigger and, and thinking beyond what is already in existence. So you have to be willing to walk the path less trodden. But there's too many people and things around us that are telling us that that's probably not the sensible route. But mm -hmm. yeah, this, so that's a good book for that. What else did I tell you? Just, just be curious. Yeah. And <laughs> but, just experience more art. Just more, and when I say art, I mean music, film, whatever it is. Just um, so, so the, the way that I'm going to forget his name, the writer of Sapiens, Harari. Um, you have, I can't pronounce his name. Let's leave that one there. There is biology in their story, and understand that story is is the thing that underpins everything. Where we don't have data for things, we fill in a narrative. Right. Um, it is how we communicate with the outside world. It's how we understand our inner world. Mm -hmm. It's it's everything. And so experiencing more stories and other people's perceptions of the world is only going to help provide a broader frame of reference for our own and is only going to kind of nourish that space. 
um, we were talking about travel before. Like when you stay in the same space, you're only ever going to experience one angle of that thing. And I think by engaging in more storytelling, more books, more more films, more art, more music, it's just it it unfolds different perspectives. You know, this life is multifaceted. It it takes many different perspectives to create this rich tapestry that we call life. And the more of that that you can start to grapple with and and play with and just dive headfirst into it because it's only going to help you understand the world but understand yourself better. I'm really waffling now. No, that's fine. <laughs> so this is the perfect time for me to say, I'm, I'm going to ask you one final question, which is, which is a hook that I ask everybody okay. again. Normally I would have a chance to unpack it a bit before, but okay. now everybody gets it. So if the question isn't meant to be a trick and it's going to sound like I'm trying to trick you. The way you, that you're preempting this is really scary. <laughs> it's really scary. So the, the question contains the word practice. Mm. I'm going to ask you a question about your practice. You can interpret practice to mean your entire life, your parkour, whatever mm-hmm. you like. And you don't have to tell me what that is. And so just use the question to do whatever you want to do with it. So the question is, I always say, and of course, the final question is three words to describe your practice. Three minute pause. <laughs> um, it's definitely going to have um, heart, story, strength. Thank you very much, Charlotte. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. This was episode 56. For more information, go to moversmindset.com slash 56. And there's more to the Movers Mindset Project than just this podcast. Visit our website for more free content to join our email list, or to read about how you can support this project. And I'll leave you with a final thought from Sir Edmund Hillary. It's not the mountain that we conquer, but ourselves. Thanks for listening.